Hi. Um, just to introduce myself again, my name is Chrysanthi Broikas. I'm a curator at the National Building Museum, just two blocks from here. Um, and um, when the Portrait Gallery, I guess it was about a, maybe a month or so ago, asked um, if somebody at the museum might speak to Jefferson, um, I seemed like the likely candidate. Um, I'm not a Jefferson expert, but I'll tell you a little bit why I, I'm kind of qualified to do this. Um, as Ian said, I am um, a graduate of the University of Virginia. I have a master's degree from there from, um, in 1986, a master's in architectural history. And when I arrived there, um, there was an exhibit up at the uh, Bailey Art Museum, now it's called the University of Virginia Museum of Art, called um, Thomas Jefferson's Academical Village, the creation of an architectural masterpiece. Um, <clears throat> when I went to UVA, I knew that I wanted to um, work as a curator, um, and I wanted to get some expertise in architecture, but I didn't have any direct museum experience, so I marched right into the Bailey and said, you know, told them my background, and said I want to work for you and this was one of the projects that I was able to work on. I didn't work on creating this book but what UVA did at the time as all, almost all universities are always going through a capital campaign of some sort and one of the ideas was to try to turn the physical exhibit into a traveling exhibit in some fashion. Um, so I was actually lucky enough to um, I wouldn't say handle the drawings. I don't think I ever actually touched them. Um, but to work with Thomas Jefferson's drawings for the University of Virginia and actually um, escorted them to a local uh, photo lab. And for the first time, um, color photographs and copies, copy negatives were made of those drawings. Um, and that had never happened before. What the, the images published in this book, which I'll pass around, um, were black and white photographs of the drawings, and then they inserted this kind of creamy color um, behind them to simulate the color of, of the graph paper that Jefferson used. But they are, um, so they're kind of a composite, and they weren't the actual, an actual photograph of the, of the, um, the drawings as they existed. So, um, I think that's kind of unique in that sense. Um, so I'll just pass that around. I did want to mention that I just looked on Amazon, and this book um, is actually being <clears throat> reprinted by, um, by the university and is coming out in hard copy in September, so just basically a month from now. Um, this was spearheaded by Richard Guy Wilson, who for many years was the... Um, chair of the Department of Architectural History at the university. He's still there, but he's not the, the chair currently. Um, you might know him best um, as the host of America's Castles, an A&E program that he did for a number of years. Um, but anyways, I'll, I'll just pass that around a little bit. Um, so in case you don't know, <laughs> the, the University of Virginia was, was created and designed by Thomas Jefferson. So I'm um, happy to field questions um, on that topic. Um, but I know that many of you are probably also interested in art and art history, and I, do, and I don't want to neglect um, the, the portraits themselves. So feel free. Is there any, do you have, any of you have any burning questions? Jefferson is so 
there's so much to talk about that I'd want to make sure that I don't um, that I address any questions you might have before I really get going or know where your interests are. No burning desires. Okay. Um, well, let me start um, just briefly with um, this portrait of Jefferson, which is Mather Brown from 1786. And one of the unique things, I, when I went online to see exactly what the portrait gallery has, they have many um, portraits of Jefferson. The unique thing about this portrait is that it's actually the first um, life portrait that was done of Jefferson. Um, this was in 1886, and so he was... Uh, <clears throat> He was 43 at the time, um, and at the time of, of, the, of Jefferson's many accomplishments, um, really at the time he was only known as having authored the Declaration of Independence. So this was basically before he had done anything else um, you know, in his career. Um, and you'll see back here uh, a statue of freedom. So... <clears throat> I had actually not been that familiar with this portrait at UVA. Um, and as you'll see in the front of, of the book that I'm passing around, the, the image I was most familiar with was um, Thomas Sully's um, portrait of Jefferson, which has Jefferson standing next to a column, um, which <laughs> you might understand why many, many things that are reproduced at UVA actually have the, that portrait as opposed to one um, such as this. Um, so I was actually a little curious about that portrait and found out that it was commissioned, the, the Sully portrait was commissioned um, by the, the U.S. Military Academy at West Point because Jefferson, in fact, had um, established the academy. Um, and when I called the curator up there, I have to um, unfortunately tell you that it is not um, accessible to the public. It's uh, in a... Um, in the library kind of special collections setting, which is not, um, not available to the public, so it's not actually in the museum. Um, so don't run up there <laughs> going to look at it because it's, it's not accessible. Um, but numerous, what usually happened um, on these on life portraits was that the artists themselves would make um, copies or replicas and numerous replicas by the, the artist would sometimes be made so that there are um, other Sully um, portraits, um, mostly not the full body length view that that one at West Point is. Um, and the same goes for almost all of the other portraits. And I just wanted to mention that. Let's see. Uh, this is the first, Mather Brown. Then in 1788, only two years later, uh, John Trumbull created his famous um, signing of the Declaration of Independence. And the Jefferson, he, his image of Jefferson is, again, a life portrait. Um, and he made also small um, copies of, the, of Jefferson's face that are uh, um, in various collections, including the Metropolitan Museum of Art um, in New York. Um, again, two years later, or three years later, actually, Charles Wilson Peale created a portrait, um, which now belongs to Independence Hall, so you can see that. Um, then in 1800, Rembrandt Peale um, created the portrait that is in the White House, in the Blue Room. It used to be in the Blue Room. I can't actually tell you if it's still there since 
I haven't been there recently. Um, and then um, in 1800 and then in 1805 and 1809, um, Gilbert Stuart painted um, Jefferson on, as I said, on numerous occasions. And the portrait gallery here does own that, that one of those works as well as the National Gallery of Art owns one of those works. Um, then the Sully portrait I mentioned at West Point, also in the rotunda at UVA, and one at Monticello. So there are um, numerous um, portraits to go around, as well as busts. Um, and there's another portrait here I wanted to mention, and just on the other side of Washington in that uh, there's a case with some medals. There's also a... Um, um, one of the medals is of, of Jefferson there, and it's from the Houdan um, bust that was done um, in 1789. So um, there are many likenesses of, of Jefferson. Um, there's, there's a connection with Jefferson and this building, actually. I thought that would be a good place to start because um, this building was um, designed by Robert Mills, who is essentially a, a protege of, of Jefferson's. Um, he, he met Jefferson here in Washington while Jefferson, or just before Jefferson became president, and then he invited um, Mills to, to Monticello and, and kind of tutored him a bit. Um, so Mills does have a connection to Jefferson and to this building. Um, Jefferson is also tied in, as you probably know, to, to much of the design of Washington itself, um, and especially the Capitol. Um, Jefferson actually was instrumental in, when he was Secretary of State um, under Washington, he proposed a competition for the Capitol. Um, the prize was $500 plus a plot here in the city. Um, there were, um, I, I want to say, probably less than 30 submittals, um, none of which um, they were particularly thrilled about. The interesting thing is Jefferson anonymously actually submitted designs in that competition. His was not selected. <laughs> um, then a um, William Thornton, who... Um, kind of petitioned, he, he missed the deadline, but wrote and said he was interested and might he submit something, and he did. They allowed him to, and then his, his design was chosen. So Thornton, Thornton's original plan um, with kind of a, a wing for both the, the House of Representatives and the Senate, um, and then a, a, a dome structure in the middle was essentially the, the genesis of, of the Capitol, although there have been many, many, many hands and architects um, and changes over the years to the Capitol. Um, and in fact, about a, it was only a few years later that, um, that um, Latrobe, William Henry Latrobe, um, followed, um, was probably, I think, about the third or fourth architect who was working on the Capitol, um, and he was appointed by Jefferson. Um, and I wanted to mention both Thornton and Latrobe in connection to Jefferson and the Capitol because it's to those two men that Jefferson initially writes um, when he's actually trying to formulate what, what the um, 
what the pavilions at UVA will, will look like. Um, does everybody have kind of a rough idea of the campus at UVA and what, and what that is, or should I describe that a little bit? Um, <clears throat> I'll try to do that. Um, the, and let me, maybe if I could borrow that book back for just a second, that might be an easy way to just get kind of a little bit of an overview. Um, this building here is known as the Rotunda. It was uh, initially designed as the library, but it's not part, it wasn't part of a, um, Jefferson's original idea for the campus. Um, here's um, kind of an overview of it. So right here you see the, um, the Rotunda in the middle, and then it's flanked on either side by a series of um, smaller pavilions, and then between each of those pavilions is, um, are essentially dormitories. Let me um, pass that around, too, so that you get a sense of this. Um, it's something completely new. There was no college in the United States at, at that time or university um, or in Europe that, that looked anything like that. Um, you would have been, when, when Jefferson um, studied at William and Mary, he studied there for two years. Uh, actually, he went there at the age of 16. It appears that um, he didn't like, the, he didn't have very much good to say about William and Mary. Um, and he, it was at that time that we know he actually bought his first um, books of architecture. Um, and began to be seriously interested in architecture. So William and Mary is something that he actually ends up um, a little bit rebelling against in a sense. And William and Mary was a traditional um, uh, campus. Um, it was one building that housed the students as well as the classes. So it was a, a large, relatively large building for the day. Um, and Jefferson's concept was that um, every, you, he didn't want one building. He wanted um, a place that would be a village. Um, and this was very much tied. The interesting thing about, and there's so much to say, and I know there's not a lot of time. The interesting thing about um, the scholarship relating to, to Thomas Jefferson's University of Virginia is trying to tie it to his ideals um, of democracy and and what the republic would need to thrive. And very much um, that was based on and having an educated uh, public that could make sure to um, know tyranny when they saw it and figure out a way to get rid of it. Um, and he believed very much that um, setting up, um, he was actually the, the um, proponent who, uh, of an education, a public education system in Virginia, uh, which then really did become a model for, for many states. Um, and it was a three-tiered system of primary education, then a, um, a I don't want to say a real, sec it, it wasn't called a secondary system at that time, but kind of an intermediate level, and then one main university for the state um, as, the, as the ultimate um, higher, the highest level of, of learning. Um, so his, he advocated that um, when he was in the Virginia legislature. 
um, back in the 1760s before he was sent to the Continental Congress um, in 1775 to draft the Declaration. Um, so it was very much one of his kind of founding principles. Um, he saw the, the, how the system is set up is that each of the main pavilions was to be um, on the first floor a classroom, and on the second floor each pavilion would have two rooms that would actually house the professor um, of uh, anatomy or philosophy or whatever the, the particular subject was. Um, and then in between each of the pavilions would be a series of somewhere between but about 10 dormitories, and each, each about um, 10 by 14, where um, the students would live. Um, now, his original plan, as I mentioned, actually did not include the, um, the rotunda, but as a site was selected, um, and there, this went on actually for about, Jefferson's initial plans were developed in the 1760s and 1770s as a concept for the general education, the three-tiered system in Virginia. Um, by the time the university actually um, came into being, it, it opened its doors in 1825. Actual construction was begun about 18, between 18, about 1817 actually. His designs in terms of actually starting to design it were 1814. So by this time, he had already retired from the presidency. He was, you know, he died when he was over 80. So this really took place mostly in his 60s and 70s. Um, and he's now recognized as, in fact, the primary, um, not just the intellectual um, weight behind the idea for the university, but for its actual construction. For many years, because of his writings to Thornton and to Latrobe, um, and erroneously, I don't know how the, the Mills got in there, but because of his relationship with Mills, many people um, did not credit him at all with the, the actual design. Um, and only, I guess it was about 20 years ago now that both Monticello and the University of Virginia jointly, Monticello is Jefferson's home, which he designed over uh, many years. Actually, he probably tinkered on the house in one way or another for 40-plus years. Um, have been recognized as a World Heritage Site. Um, it's a UNESCO program, so it's um, one of the few. Um, there aren't that many American sites in, in, <laughs> in compared to a lot of other places. Um, but in, in the other kind of, I don't know if it's astounding, but in 1776, during the bicentennial, the AIA actually recognized it as um, America's foremost architectural achievement. Um, so it's very highly regarded in terms of what it meant and, and what it means um, today. It was really, Jefferson was um, a lover of Palladio, Andre Palladio, who was a Renaissance architect, primarily designed in the, in the 15, late 1500s um, outside of Venice and in the region known as the Veneto in Italy. Um, and his designs were in, um, reproduced in treatises, <clears throat> and uh, Jefferson, as I mentioned before, he, he began buying um, architectural treatises as, as young as about 17. Um, and the reason that one of the reasons that he actually needed to write to Jeff, I mean to uh, Latrobe um, and Thornton, was that 
1814, when he actually um, was able to begin designing, um, does anybody remember what probably had happened to his books? No, that his exactly his because of the the burning at the Capitol, um, he donated his entire collection to start the collection of the Library of Congress. So he no longer had all his books. So he. Um, we're not exactly sure what he did have at the time. We know he did replace some books, but um, or many of his books, but um, when he first began, he was looking to, to have some of his um, protégés and the people he trusted, um, um, you know, kind of bounce his ideas off of them. And in fact, um, the first pavilion that was constructed at UVA does reflect um, Thornton, what Thornton sent back to Jefferson, um, and then he kind of abandoned that, and the, and the rest of the pavilions really reflect um, Latrobe's influence, and then how um, Jefferson reconceived what he, you know, you know, how his mind reconceived everything. He really wanted each of the pavilions to be a model of good architecture um, for the students there and for all the people of Virginia. Um, you might not know that in addition to um, his influence on on the capitol um, he did he did design um, or was very influential in the in the design of the of the capital in Virginia, the state of Virginia, which is um, modeled on a on a Roman um, temple um, he also in addition to designing Monticello, he designed Poplar Forest, which was his um, country retreat in Lynchburg. Um, so he was most certainly an architect of, in addition to his many, many other achievements. Um, all right, so I know I'm already uh, past my time. Is there some, um, something that I can answer or any questions immediately? I can, yeah. Yes. Have you read documentation on any of that? Um, I don't know about the hands. I do know that it's it's clear in the painting that he is standing on on Adam's foot, and I don't know why. I do know that in the engraving for the uh, the back of the the bill that has the um, I'm not going to remember now which. To, to the $2 bill, thank you, yes, at, at uh, Monticello, actually, they give you change with the $2 bill, um, that he is not standing on Adam's foot there, so um, a little, they did change that. The interesting thing about this portrait, actually, is one of the interesting things is that um, Mather Brown did this in London while Jefferson, at the time, Jefferson was the, um, the ambassador to France, and um, Adams, John Adams was the ambassador at the time to, um, to the United Kingdom. So when he went to visit Adams, he, Adams suggested that they sit for the portraits in London, um, which they did. Um, Mather Brown was actually born in Boston but mostly worked in London. Um, and they exchanged the portraits at that time. So this portrait was actually... Um, in the Adams family until just 10 years ago when it was donated here to, 
to the um, to the museum. So it's you know really an astonishing. Um, uh, I mean, the provenance is <laughs> is quite profound. Um, so that's really wonderful. Um, and I don't. No, I, I don't remember that. So I don't believe you, you do have the Mather Brown. I think this is the only Mather Brown um, portrait, actually, that the, that the museum has. Um, yes, anything else? Yeah. The Gramey's plans for the College of Union College in New York. Right. There are, I think, more than superficial similarities between that plan Jefferson's for UVA. I didn't know whether there was any um, French connection or whether you wanted to speak to um, the French architecture's influence on, on Jefferson. Well, certainly, um, there's you know kind of much debate on the English versus the French influence on Jefferson. Um, um, and I don't know if it's. I, I guess I tend to think that there is more French. Um, but that I mean, it's a it's a kind of a I don't know that it's a raging debate, but it's certainly the um, the Palladio um, editions that Jefferson had were mostly English, actually. So his interpretation of um, of the Renaissance drawings are actually seen through um, and uh, more of the British eye than the French eye. But he loved Paris. He loved the architecture that he saw there. And we know that he was quite influenced, even in the design for Monticello, by um, French hotel design and by contemporary work um, that he saw in in Paris and by historical um, uh, examples that he saw there. And there's many, um, certainly the neoclassical, um, the stronger neoclassical influence in terms of of um, the type of architecture that Jefferson admired, I think, would have been in, in France at the time. Um, there's also kind of the intellectual side of it. Um, he was definitely um, a supporter, obviously, of the, of the French Revolution and thought of himself, you know, he, he was, well, let's say, he, I mean, he was the founder of the, Re- the Republicans, right? Um, he was, he, in fact, resigned as vice president under Adams. Um, Adams and, and Washington, you recall, are federalists. So um, it was kind of a fluke in our system that at the time, because he had the second amount of votes um, to Adams, he was appointed vice president, even though they, would not, they were not ideologically quite of the same ilk. Um, so there is, there is kind of a... I don't know that I would definitely say that there's a... Um, that the Federalists were, you know, I certainly wouldn't say they were more on the English side, but there's an interesting kind of break um, on all levels in terms of the the intellectual. Um, Jefferson certainly, um, you know, he was not a fan of cities. Um, He definitely believed in kind of the agrarian um, yeoman farmer. He always wanted to get back to Monticello and to leave Washington um, or the city, he definitely yearned, um, you know, to, to be in the country. Um, so he was not always, um, you know, which you might not necessarily expect. His other, one of his, you know, long-lasting legacies in terms of the design of of the United States was the the grid system in terms of plotting. Um, 
one mile squares of, of land across the across the nation and our system of, of you know really mapping um, so he's had a huge influence um, in terms of the educational system in terms of um, architectural history um, you know just on that kind of, and urban urban planning in a sense um, other questions I know you had a do you have a question? You just mentioned at the very beginning the set term Victor. Right. Freedom. You know, I was struck actually when I came to see it by how you know bold and modern it is to me. I mean these brush strokes here especially um, are just so strong, but I don't I mean it is um, actually when I looked at a lot of because I looked at a lot of the other portraits. It's it is um, you might be more kind of the the Washington over here by Gilbert Stuart. There's only one portrait of Jefferson kind of in that type of a setting where there's a multiplicity of um, things going on that you can interpret or why they're there. Um, so it's this is. Aside from the one that I meant, the, the Sully with the column, and this one with Freedom, almost all of them are um, just headshots or just what he's wearing, not any other symbolism involved. Um, so this one is a little bit unusual in that sense, but again, it's the first. <laughs> so it's, um, and you do see the, the, you know, the reference here to, to his writing, obviously, and I think to the Declaration. Yeah. Uh, did his design and his architectural interests spill over into the art world? Did he collect art or did he protect the buildings with art? Um, you know, he was actually more of an avid collector. As you might recall, he, um, he purchased Louisiana. I mean, the Louisiana, Louisiana Purchase comes under him in 1803. And then a year later, he sends Lewis and Clark on the famous expedition and they gathered, um, and in his home at Monticello, there are all kinds, it's really more, he had a great interest in um, paleontology and anatomy and animals. So it's more of a, I mean, of the day, a curiosity cabinet more than necessarily just strictly art. He was interested in everything. You know, he was just... I think of him as an omnivore. You know, he ate everything. He tried to absorb everything. It's such a cliche, but, you know, he really was a Renaissance man. I mean, he, uh, you could easily talk on Jefferson for, uh, you know, it's it, days. I mean, he just did so much. And he, he's really a man of, um, I think there's always continuing interest because there's so many uh, contradictions in a sense as well. I mean, as we know, he you know he inherited and owned numerous slaves. I mean, hundreds of slaves, um, only seven of which I believe he freed, and I, they were all his progeny, really. I mean, I, they were DNA testing, as far as we can tell, has proven that. I don't know what's going on with that, but the only the only um, slaves that he owned that were freed were of the Hemings family, which. If you're at all familiar with the story, um, he is rumored to have of, um, had a long ongoing affair with one of, it turns out I think it's actually his wife's, I think the DNA is <clears throat> testing maybe, well, 
aside, it seems to have been the, the children that he would have fathered with this woman, if that's the case. So, um, you know, he, he um, yeah, even though he was a Republican, he believed very much in, you know, small government. Um, he, you know, he negotiated the, the purchase of the Louisiana Territory. So that was a huge expansion of the country and of, of what that, you know, what that going outside the bounds um, of what might have been in the Constitution really at the time. Um, so he's he's really a can be a controversial figure in many ways. Yeah. I'm curious how you think the Louisiana Purchase is outside the Constitution. Well, I don't think that. I mean, the the I'm not a constitutional <laughs> scholar, but I mean, I think that it's certainly seen as a point of con- controversy to to have purchased territory. There's nothing that says that explicitly says that we could do something like that. Um, so in terms of um, negotiating... Um, uh, I think in Jefferson's own writings, he recalls his own ambivalence of wondering whether or not he had the authority right. to purchase it. It was definitely a question at the time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like I said, I'm not any... I'm not a Jeffersonian scholar in that sense, but... Well, we've got more Gilbert Stewart. We've got yes. Peel. We've got lots of interesting people for you to meet. And thank you for being here. Oh, you're welcome. This evening. Thank you all for coming.